The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the sixth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The hard saying that offends Jesus' disciples is his claim that his followers must eat his flesh and drink his blood. The followers who return to their old lives know something about how odd this sounds. Simon Peter, on the other hand, knows something about the scarcity of living, gracious words. He asks the most important question, to whom shall we go? Jesus says, Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one that would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. The Gospel of the Lord. be seated. Rejoice. The good news is constant. Grace, mercy, and peace are ours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the working of the Spirit. And we say, Amen. A favorite hymn, I think, for many Christians over the years has been the hymn, Stand Up, Stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of the cross. Perhaps that's one of your favorite. If so, what you may not know is that there are some Christians today who uh, take exception to the military imagery of this hymn and suggest that it really ought not be in our hymnals and any other hymns like it that use military imagery. They argue that as Christians, we are all about the forgiveness of sins and peace, peace on earth through Christ's forgiveness. They're right about that, of course, 
But what they fail to recognize is that there is much biblical precedent for military imagery, and not just in the Old Testament, where we hear about battles and slaughters and so forth, but also in the New Testament. And nowhere is that more evident than in today's second lesson, our epistle lesson from Ephesians, when Paul declares, put on the whole armor of God. It is, in fact, from this passage uh, that we uh, get the expression in the church uh, referring to us who are still living in this fallen world as fallen creatures, the church militant, the church at war. Christians uh, still living in this world uh, are at war. They are engaged in a war, a war that began at our baptisms and continues to our very last day, our last moment in this world. The Holy Writer explains the reason for this in an earlier chapter, in the second chapter of this epistle. Listen to what he says. As for you, referring to us Christians, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of this world, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses. It is by grace that you have been saved. What he's telling us here is something I think we often forget. And that is, and he does say at the beginning of this second chapter, that once we belong to that rebellious world before Christ lay hold of us through baptism and transferred us into his kingdom. And what he is telling us, therefore, is that ever since that moment, the rest of the fallen world, as, once, as well as the prince of this world, the old satanic foe, as Luther refers to him, and even our old sinful nature still hanging on, cast us into a lifelong battle, a struggle against evil. So you see, the battle imagery of this text uh, is altogether appropriate. We are engaged in a battle, as I said, as long as we live. But this truth is, uh, for us, very difficult, I think, to embrace and affirm and recognize. It wasn't so, you know, for those first Christians in first century Roman Empire. No, they were aware of it from day one because they suffered terrible persecution, not only at the hands of their fellow Jews who saw them as a, a, a heretic sect, but also at the hands of the Romans because they would not bow down and worship Caesar as a demigod. Not only were they persecuted, they were murdered. They were killed by the thousands, by the hundreds of thousands for their faith. 
If we have trouble recognizing it, there are Christians in other parts of our world, as you know, and especially in the Middle East, who understand what it means to be engaged in battle. They are being persecuted every day, and many of them are being murdered. But we have trouble with this. We have trouble with this because we think we do not have a battle. The battle is not always so obvious to us in our society, although I would submit to you that it is becoming more and more obvious as each day goes by for us also. Today, what the holy writer refers to as the devil's schemes are much subtler than they were in first century Asia Minor, or indeed in that same part of the world today. They are so subtle, in fact, that we often don't recognize them for what they are. And that means that we are extremely vulnerable to temptation and to capitulation. These schemes are the many temptations to unbelief, to sin, and to conformity to our fallen world in which we live each day. It is particularly this last thing, temptation to conform to the fallen world in which we live, that I see as the greatest danger and threat to our life with God. The fact is that we simply don't see or refuse to recognize that we are living in an altogether fallen world and society and that we are being always tempted to draw away and to fall in line with that society rather than to be faithful to our Lord. I think sometimes we simply don't want to believe it despite all the evidence to the contrary. We want to conform to the world. Did you hear me? We want to conform to the world. Why? Because we want to belong. We don't want to be considered oddballs. We don't want to be considered religious fanatics. And we surely don't want to be persecuted. So we close our eyes to all the ways in which we have been compromised by the world in which we live each day. We often refuse to see how the world around us has succeeded in separating so many Christians today from regular exposure to the Word of God and to Christ's holy sacrament. When I began my ministry 50 years ago, it was commonplace that the vast majority of the members of that congregation were in church every Sunday unless they were sick or dead. But today, it appears more and more that Christians think, well, once or twice, maybe a month is all I really need. Maybe not even that much. What? What? Given the warfare that we have been cast into by our baptism, I have said this more than a few times. We should not only be so eager to come here again to be fed on the gospel of Christ and to receive forgiveness and to be strengthened again through the Holy Supper that we are at the door before it's unlocked. Indeed, we should be 
banging on the door on Wednesday saying, open up, I'm worn out already from the fray. How is it possible that we have come to the point? The world around us has had its influence on us. But that's not the only thing. That's not the only thing. There are other ways in which the world has made us compromise ourselves. The world tells us our time and our money is ours to do with whatever we please. But God tells us that our lives, our minds, our time, the, the treasure that is entrusted to us is all that entrusted to us to be used in his service in loving one another within the body of Christ and in serving those who do not yet belong and who are still languishing out there. And then again, I see the compromise in our lives, mine and yours, in the stuff that we feed our hearts and minds through television and film and even music sometimes, to the point that uh, we are exposed to all kinds of obscenities. We hear language, we see violence, we see sexual exploitation and gross vulgarities, and we simply sit there and, and suck it in. Do you think you can keep that kind of diet and it does not have an effect on your life, on my life? Get serious. And if by virtue of our baptisms the world of unbelief is at war with us, then tell me why it is year after year the pollsters tell us that Christians' attitudes and perspective and beliefs about various things, moral and political and whatever, are no different, little different, from the rest of our society. How can that be? How can that be? That all these things are true is a testimony to the fact that you and I, I will say it, don't take seriously enough the enemy we contend with. We need to recognize that the enemy is much more powerful than Madison Avenue advertisers or the producers of movies and television shows or the shapers of public opinion. Our struggle, says the holy writer, listen to this, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, I understand that that kind of talk is kind of foreign to most of us in the 21st century. But what it represents is what for a time... Uh, many people, Christians included, uh, rejected as one of the downsides of the Age of Enlightenment. But we live post-World War I, World War II. Millions upon millions of people slain. Whole cities totally obliterated. We live in a time when there's one war after another where millions more are dying every day, where atrocities unthinkable are, are committed. 
and where horrendous acts of genocide take place. Living in such a world as we do, it is impossible, I think, to deny what Paul describes here. Something greater than psychological disturbance or some kind of sociological explanation. No, we're talking about principalities and powers, things unseen that govern so much of what human beings are doing all the time. Helmut Thielicke, famous German preacher who preached to his people moving from one place to another during the saturation bombing of his uh, country, Germany, during World War II, said, anybody after what we have lived through that will not accept the existence of these evil powers that work in the world simply are dishonest. And I agree. But here is the truth. Despite the fact that on our own, we are totally helpless before these forces. We are not, because we are not on our own. The truth, the good news is that we don't have to submit to them or let them rule over us because we have a Lord, a mighty Lord, who has overcome the prince of this world, as Paul refers to Satan, and all his legions, He is Jesus Christ, our champion, who went to battle for us, who represented us all, who took on the devil, the fallen world, and our sinful natures, and conquered all through his life. His perfect life lived for us. His death suffered that we might never have to hear what he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And through his glorious resurrection, by which he overcame the power of death, the power of the devil, and the power of sin, so that we have been set free to be a new creation, as I said to you in the opening confession and absolution. All things are new in him, and we have conquered in him through faith in him, as we have been brought under his gracious rule. And that's why Paul comes to us again today and exhorts us to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power by putting on the armor that he has given to us so that we can take our stand against the enemies of God and of God's kingdom. And what is this armor? Well, most of us are not all that familiar with first century Roman soldier armor, but we can get the gist of what Paul is saying when he talks about, first of all, the truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth that I just shared with you a moment ago, the truth of our freedom in Christ to live our lives faithfully to God and to not fear the power of Satan or of evil. Closely related to this is righteousness, The kind of righteousness he's talking about is that alien righteousness, not within us, that righteousness of Christ that has been bestowed upon us through faith, that righteousness that enabled the Apostle Paul and us to say, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, that is, declares righteous 
Who is to condemn? Get lost, Satan. You cannot condemn me. Get lost, my sinful nature. You cannot condemn me. God has justified me, declared me righteous. In our baptisms, in each of our baptisms, God said to each of us, This is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And despite those moments when we doubt that about ourselves, trust in what God has said. I have been baptized, Luther said, in his deepest distressful moments. I have been baptized. God has declared me righteous. No one can take that from me. Oddly, the next piece of armament that prepares us for battle is, sounds almost like it's counterintuitive, the gospel of peace. Peace and doing battle sound almost mutually exclusive. But it is precisely, you see, the good news that God is not our enemy, but our friend and our defender that gives us courage to take on the hostile world. And more than that, It is this gospel of peace that enables us to become instruments in God's hands to transform those who are now enemies of God, that they might be friends of God. The gospel of peace. Next, we have the shield of faith to ward off the assaults of the devil, the world, and our own sinful natures. The knowledge that we are never alone in this world because through faith, We have been made one with Christ and that he is with us wherever we go. He gives us confidence. He gives us courage to stand fast and firm in the face of temptation and to live our lives as kingdom people, people who belong to Christ, so that when the world looks at at us and sees our way of life, the way we love, see how they love one another, said the Roman Empire of the early church. Look at the way they are loving each other, that others will be drawn to Christ's kingdom as well. And with salvation, we are given the power of the Spirit in the Word of God, the Word of God that is able to parry the assaults of the enemy and even to fight back. Even when, like our Lord before us, the devil seeks to use the very word of God to deceive and to tempt us, we can counter with the truth and declare as he did, It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Be gone, Satan. Get lost. And as Luther reminds us in his great hymn, One little word of God can fell him. Finally, we are given the power of prayer. The power of prayer. That wonderful gift that is the invitation to constantly be in touch with God that we might receive from him what we need to be faithful unto death. To be faithful and to stand firm in the way that he has called us to live our lives. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I will give it to you. He wasn't talking about anything at all. He was talking about just what we're talking about this morning. 
Whenever you need to resist the forces of evil in yourself, in your world, and from the evil one himself, God will give it if you ask. Lord, help me. Help me in this moment to be strong, to resist temptation, to walk tall and proud that I am your child. So let us recognize the truth again this day. That as baptized people of God, we are involved in an ongoing battle with the forces of evil in this world, the evil one himself, and the evil within us still, clinging, hanging on for dear life. But let us rejoice that though these forces be greater than our ability to resist them, God is not. And if we call upon him, he will deliver us. He will help us stand firm and make him proud of us as his people. Our mighty and victorious Lord is the one who goes with us into battle. And he has equipped us with everything we need for the victory. And because that is so, we can say with one voice, Amen. Peace of God that passes understanding. Keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus till he comes in glory. Amen. Amen. We sing together, a mighty fortress is our God, and for that we stand. Absolutely.